It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Hi, this is Nathan. It doesn't take you too long walking through Scripture before you start hearing about Egypt, 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 Egypt. In fact, all through Scripture, this idea of being set free from the captivity of Egypt becomes a beautiful picture that God consistently refers back to in terms of his deliverance for his people. Well, that becomes all the more true as you come into the New Testament, talking about Jesus setting us free from the power of sin and death. But before we get to the episode, I just want to encourage you to consider coming out and joining us in person for one of our week-long trainings. We know it's really hard for a lot of people to come out here for a long period of time, so we have created several one-week discipleship training programs throughout the year so that it kind of fits within your time frame. It's one week where we just pack in a ton of foundational biblical training. And what's great is once you get done with the live training here on campus, then there's another 13 weeks of ongoing online training where wherever you're at, whether you're at home or at school or at work, you can continually be pressed in and be discipled from home in about 30 to 40 minutes a day. Well, our next week-long discipleship training starts August 22nd, goes through the 28th. We also have one in November. But can I encourage you to consider coming out, being a part of what's going on here live on campus, and being trained in the authority of God's Word, how to study it, and how to live out the epic Christian life. Well, again, if you want more information, you can go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily for more information. Now, as we jump into the episode, I'm really excited to talk about this idea of Egypt, wilderness, and the promised land, and how we see the realities of of the gospel and Jesus Christ. Uh, If you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter 1 is uh, where we're going to be. We've been walking through a series of seeing Jesus in the Old Testament, and uh, what I want to do is I want to, again, give you this concept from the New Testament, and then I want to go back into the Old Testament and just see how this is revealed uh, throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, been really, just really stirred personally and moved uh, by, by Colossians chapter 1. Just an incredible passage. Uh, one of my favorite verses, I mean, there's a lot of great verses in chapter 1. Obviously, you have the Christ in you, the hope of glory in verse 27. Uh, verse 18, I love this, that in all things that he might have the preeminence which is phenomenal. But, but look at what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, <clears throat> he says, We are to give thanks to the Father who has enabled us to be partakers in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now get this, verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. I love this idea that what God has done in our life in Jesus is that he has taken us from this power of darkness and he's yanked us into this realm called the kingdom of his beloved son. That we have this new kingdom, which is in Jesus. Why? Well, because he is, he's delivered us. He's brought us out of the power, the chains of darkness, and he's brought us into this reality of the kingdom of his son. Uh, If you turn back a couple pages to Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says a very similar thing in chapter 1. Uh, He says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, he's speaking of the blessings we have in Jesus. And he says that in him, Jesus, 
We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. And again, if you were following the Ephesians study, we've walked through this countless times. But that idea of redemption and forgiveness is fascinating. The idea of redemption is that there was a purchase made to bring you out of something. Right? So have you ever seen the movies and someone sends a ransom note? It's, it's that kind of an idea, that there's a ransom that has to be paid. You're legally under the authority of something. Paul says that's this power of darkness, right? It's the sin and death. And what Christ did is he paid the ransom by his own blood so that he can set us free from that. But not just that, uh, in verse 7 of Ephesians 1, he says that we have forgiveness of our sins, which again goes back to this idea of it's, it's a breaking of the chains. So here we are, we're shackled to sin, right? We're in sin and death, and Jesus not only paid the ransom himself, but he also broke the chains of sin so that we can be set free so that we can live as we're supposed to live, which is just a phenomenal thought. That it's not that he sets us free, but we're still, let me say it this way, it's not that he redeems us or ransoms us, but then we're still chained and shackled to sin. He breaks the power of sin itself in our life. Now, there's an incredible illustration of this in the Old Testament, and, and I just want to give you a hint. We, it would probably take hours to actually walk through this whole thing, and I just want to give you a little tiny, tiny nugget of it. And it's this idea of going from Egypt into the Promised Land. And it seems, it's fascinating to me, that when you begin to study this concept out, it's one of those major themes that run through the entirety of Scripture. It's like the big motif, if you will, of Scripture which is this being set free from, from Egypt, the power of darkness, sin, and actually walking into the very promised land itself. So if you have your Bibles, flip back to Exodus. And what I want to do, again, we're not going to read all this, and we're not, we're not going to get into this at any depth. But I just want you to see the profundity of what God is doing uh, in this whole thing. In Exodus chapter 12, uh, Moses has been walking through the ten uh, ten plagues, and, and of course he keeps going to Pharaoh saying, hey, set my people free, and Pharaoh says no, and it's falling down to the big, big fi- fi- finale here. And in chapter 12, he's speaking about the Passover, <clears throat> and God through Moses says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this little tiny lamb, and I want you to sacrifice the lamb, and I want you to kill the lamb, and I want you to, of course, you know, put the blood upon the doorposts, and then I want you to roast the lamb, and I want you to be ready to leave. So, hey, get everything ready to go. Hey, be prepared. We're about, we're about to leave. <clears throat> and so, of course, throughout chapter 12, that's what's going on. They bring this little lamb in for four days. They keep the lamb in, in their house for four days, one day for each of the hundred years that they were enslaved. Finally, the day of Passover arrives, so they, they kill the little lamb. They put the blood upon the doorpost, right? They roast the lamb, which we've talked before that likely what was happening is they, they put the pomegranate pole up through the body of the lamb, which is kind of gross, and then they put a little crossbeam on the shoulders to hold the body open. So it's this beautiful picture of this little lamb dying upon a pomegranate cross, right? If you want to, I guess, push it to some distances that maybe was not intended, but nonetheless, thing is still beautiful. Uh, and of course, the, the Passover angel comes over, sorry, the death angel comes and kills all the firstborns that didn't have the blood on the post. The next day, of course, Pharaoh says, okay, just leave. <laughs> and the Israelites leave. Isn't it a profound thought that the reason the Israelites got to leave the enslavement, the slavery of Egypt, is because of the blood of the lamb? I don't think that's by accident. In fact, I know it's not by accident because that whole concept begins to flow 
all throughout Scripture. And over and over and over again, God says, don't forget the fact that I set you free from Egypt because of the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb. And what happens is that in the Old Testament, Egypt becomes symbolic of slavery. It becomes symbolic of sin. It becomes symbolic of death. And in fact, you read some of the prophets and they, they speak of that. Egypt is no longer the world power. Egypt has lost all of its influence. And yet Egypt is still, still being used as this picture of sin and death and captivity and, and all that kind of stuff. And God says, do you realize that I have brought you out of Egypt from this place of death and slavery and bondage where, where you were shackled to all this stuff and I have set you free. And how did I set you free? The blood of the lamb. Now, that alone is a phenomenal picture of what Jesus has done. In fact, Hebrews is really big on this, that, hey, we have been set free from sin. How? The blood of the lamb. That here is Jesus, the high priest, who is not just the priest, he's the altar, but not just the altar, but he's the sacrifice. And that he, as the perfect lamb, died on our behalf so that we can be set free from the power of sin and chains. I love that idea. And again, you, you see this uh, coming out in Exodus. In fact, you come to the book of Leviticus, and Leviticus, God says, hey, this is, one of, this is one of my feasts that you are to celebrate year after year after year forever. Why? Because it is a reminder to you that I have set you free from the power of sin. And so the Passover wasn't just one event. This was the event that we had to celebrate year after year after year. And then you get to the time of Jesus. It is not by accident that the whole crucifixion scene was taking place at one specific time in Israelites' history. Or one season, I should say it that way. And what was the season? Passover. Why? Because Passover is a celebration of the blood of the Lamb to set us free from captivity. And isn't it amazing that on the day of Passover, at the exact same moment when the high priest was killing the Passover Lamb for all of Israel, it was at that exact same mo moment that Jesus was hanging upon the cross. And Matthew and Luke record very specifically that he gave up his spirit at a specific time. Well, why do they give the specific time? Because they're, they're showcasing the fact that Jesus is the Passover lamb. Anyway, I'm excited about this. <clears throat> I know it's early, but good morning. Uh, that's phenomenal to me. And you begin to see this picture that, again, the Colossians language, that he has set us free, he's transferred us from this domain of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of his dear son, which is actually the promised land. Now, as you get out of the Exodus thing, isn't it interesting? Uh, they go into the wilderness and they get to this Kadesh Barnea location, which is on the southern border of the promised land. And in Numbers, Moses sends out the, the 12 uh, spies. They spy out the land. They come back. They bring out this incredible report. Wow, is, everything is better than we ever hoped and imagined. But they give a bad report to the Israelites. And so here are two to three million Israelites, and they just say, hey, it's all that God promised. It's amazing. It's, oh, it's great. Look at the fruit. But we can't go into it. And why cannot we go into it? Why, why, can't, why, why shouldn't we go in? And they says, well, it's because, hey, they have fortresses, they got giants, they've got all this stuff, and we are not able to go in. And the writer of Hebrews tells us they, they were not able to enter into the land of promise because of their unbelief. It was a lack of faith. And because of their lack of faith, God says, fine, you're going to wander the wilderness for 40, <laughs> 40 years. One, one year for every single day that the spies spied out the land. So they spied out the land for 40 days, so you're going to wander for 40 years, and I'm going to literally destroy an entire generation. So anybody that, that was over the age of 20 is going to die off, except for uh, Caleb and Joshua, 
because they did not believe and trust in the provision of God. That, hey, you saw all the works I did back in Egypt and you saw that I, hey, I, I, I got you through the Red Sea, but you, you don't trust me that you can get into the promised land? God says, fine, if you don't want it, you don't have to have it. And I'm going to like kill off that entire generation so that a new generation could be born that will actually, by faith, enter in. You realize that same thing happens in our life. Uh, now, our Southern Gospel songs have kind of ruined this for us. I hate to ruin Southern Gospel songs. I like Southern Gospel. But Southern Gospel songs have kind of ruined this for us in that all of our songs have this idea that, hey, when I cross the Jordan River and enter into the promised land, <gasps> that's death. In other words, we presumed in our modern culture today that the promised land is heaven and that all, 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 the, all the greatness of the promised land, all that God has promised and, and all the great fruit and the you know, land flowing with milk and honey is death. Right? It's what, we get, it's what we get in eternity. So when you cross the Jordan River, that's death, and woo, you finally get the promised land. But that's not biblical. That the reality is, is that you are to live in the promised land right this very moment. So here we are in the wilderness, and we're staring at the promised land, and God says, will you enter in by faith? Will you literally walk in and trust that through my provision, you'll actually have life and all that you need for godliness? 2 Peter 1.3. And isn't it interesting that when we by our lack of faith, by our lack of belief, say, well, yeah, maybe not, then all, all, the only option we have is to wander the wilderness. It's interesting to me that the wilderness, at its most, is about a two-week journey. It should have taken less than two weeks to get from Egypt to the Promised Land. And yet they wandered in this place for 40 years, not because they were lost. They knew exactly where the Promised Land was. It's because they did not have faith to enter in. And the wilderness throughout Scripture becomes this testing season. Uh, for example, right, Moses goes up in the middle of the wilderness and spends 40 days with God. Uh, Elijah goes into the wilderness and spends 40 days with God. Jesus goes into the wilderness and is tested and tried by, the, by, uh, by Satan for 40 days. See, the, the, the number is not by accident and the location is not by accident. Why? Because the wilderness is a picture of testing and trial. That you are to be tested. Your flesh is to be tested through a wilderness season to see, okay, do you have faith and trust in the provision of your God? It was in Moses' 40 days on the mountain that God sustained him. He did not have food or drink. Could you imagine? That sounds miserable. But 40 days without food or drink, but yet God supplied. Elijah, for 40 days out in the middle of the wilderness, and he's being supplied what he needed with the ravens. Jesus did not eat or drink for 40 days in the wilderness. But by faith, he trusted and he prevailed in the temptation scenes. You realize that your life is going to have a wilderness season? That yes, you've been set free from Egypt by the blood of the Lamb. Praise the Lord! But where do you head into? A testing season. And we should not be surprised, as we're told in the New Testament, when we face trials of many kinds. Why? Because we need the testing season to prove our faith. Faith that is not tested is not faith. So we need a testing season in our life to show that we actually have faith. But you recognize that we were made for the promised land. Now, we're going to talk about this on Thursday, but it's interesting. The moment you get into the promised land, you're not done. There's 31 hostile empires in the promised land that's going to have to be dealt with. And again, we're talking about an external picture of an internal reality, right? The, what's happening here in the Old Testament is a picture of the internal realities of our soul that hey here we are in bondage and slavery to egypt we're shackled to sin and death and darkness and jesus set us free from that by the by the blood of the lamb 
But now we're in this wilderness season and we now must go through this testing and this trial season and for, our, for our faith to be proven. And when we cross the Jordan River and into the promised land, it's not that we're done. Just like you becoming a Christian doesn't mean your life becomes perfect. I hate to break that to you. <laughs> in fact, it probably gets harder because the reality is, is now you have 31 hostile empires in your soul that now have to be dealt with, right? Lust and greed and pride, and, and you just start going through the list. And those things need to be stripped from your life and need to be dealt with. Why? Because you are to live in the land of promise. So, so get, this, get this picture. Egypt, biblically, is a, is a, is a picture, it's symbolic of sin, death, slavery. Wilderness, symbolically throughout Scripture, yes, it's literal, but it's a, it's a picture of the testing and the trial. It's the proving of faith stuff. And the promised land, again, is a picture of all that God has supplied for you. And by the way, just as a fun note with the promised land, you realize it was called the promised land. It was the land of promise. It was the, the place that God had promised for his people. And we as Christians, we do not have a physical location, right? We do not have a land that is promised. But Jesus, over and over and over through the Gospels, talked about a promise. Oh, the promise is coming. The promise is coming. Hey, the promise is coming. And what is the promise? It's the promise of the Father, or it's the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's Pentecost. You realize it is the life of a Christian. It's, it's the fullness and the reality of the Christian life. It's one who is indwelt by the very Spirit of God, who is sourced by the Spirit of God, who is living by the Spirit of God. That is what we are called to. And the reason why 2 Peter 1.3 is so profound is that in Jesus we have all things that we need for life and godliness it is because he has supplied everything we need. We have a promise. In fact, read Hebrews, uh, is it Hebrews 11? It talks about these great and precious promises that we have in Christ Jesus. And ultimately, it's himself, right? We, we do have a land of promise, but it's not physical land. It's, it's the spiritual promise that we get to partake in as believers. So again, what you see then is this, this beautiful arc throughout Scripture that is talking about the fact that, hey, you are to get out of Egypt, you're to go through the wilderness, and you're to live in the promised land. And though the Israelites did that literally, physically, we are to do that spiritually. That, hey, how did we get out of Egypt? How do we get out of that slavery to sin? The blood of the lamb. That here we are, we go through a trial season and testing season so that we can enter in. And if I can just make one side comment about our culture today, it's interesting to me that when you look at the number of young people who are leaving the faith, and I don't know what the statistic is now, but you know, they said upwards of 70, 80% of teenagers would leave the faith by the time they hit college. And whether that's true, who knows, you know, 56.2% of statistics are made up on the spot, supposedly. So, but supposedly 70 to 80%, that's a bad joke, but 70 to 80% of teenagers were supposedly leaving the faith when they hit college. I think the reason that is true is because as a church, as a bride of Christ, we've been living in the wilderness, not in the promised land. In other words, when you're in the wilderness, God does great things, right? Uh, manna comes, from, comes down from heaven, quail in the bush, shoes don't wear out, which probably drove the women crazy because they couldn't go shopping. Right? I mean, so you had, you had all these issues uh, and all these blessings. Sorry. <laughs> I thought that was funny. You had all these blessings in the wilderness, right? Water from the rock, right? Cloud by day, fire by night, all that kind of stuff. It's not that God wasn't working in the wilderness. You, but the reality was you're not made for the wilderness, in fact, those 40 years in the wilderness wanderings were so miserable. Do you know how many times the Israelites kept coming to, to Moses and said, we're done? 
In fact, it would be better for us to go back to Egypt to the leeks and the onions, which does not sound appealing at all. But apparently, leeks and onions from Egypt sounded far better than anything in the wilderness. And, and again, just for clarity's sake, when we're talking wilderness, we're not talking like Rocky Mountain wilderness, right? We're talking desert. I mean, this is barren land, hardly a bush or a tree in sight. We're talking sand, rock. That, I mean, that's, that's all there is. It is miserable. It is hot. In fact, it was fascinating. I was in, uh, I was in Israel a couple of Januarys ago. So this is, the, this is the coolest time of the year. And even in the wilderness area, we got to go to some of the places where the Israelites were wandering the wilderness. And even in January, it can hit up to like 80 degrees. I mean, it's, 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 I mean this is desert. And I remember we were climbing and we were going through the wilderness of, of Zin and, and we were climbing up this incredible mountain and it was just beautiful. But we got to the top and we had to walk over to the bus and it was fascinating. You know, we're walking for about five minutes and weren't, we weren't sure how long we had to walk. We just knew we had to walk a ways. And about five minutes in, it was incredibly fascinating to me. Here's a whole bunch of adults for about five minutes walking. Now, now we've been climbing. I get it. We've been tired. I understand that too. But we've been out in the wilderness for less than a couple of hours. We finally get this, you know, flat land. And now we're trying to head to the bus that's air conditioned and has the water. And about five minutes into this whole walk, murmuring started. And it was just like, how much further? Where's the bus? Couldn't the bus come out this direction to help us? When's the air conditioning coming? And I mean, we were only in the wilderness for, I mean, five minutes and we were murmuring. You realize after 40 years of being in this place, with the heat of the summer, the cool of the nights, I mean, this, this place is not made to live. This place is made to prove you. But I think as a, as a church, we have lived so long in the wilderness. And, and yeah, God's doing some neat stuff and, you know, manna from, from heaven and quail in the bush and whoo, this is great. But we've camped out in the wilderness and we have nothing to offer the next generation. And I, I'm, I honestly think one of the reasons why there's so many teenagers who leave the faith is because we're not living in the promised land, we're living in the wilderness. And again, just like the, the Israelites, if, if, if you're, all you have is a wilderness, Egypt looks far better. The leeks and the onions of Egypt looks far more delightful than the reality of the wilderness. So hey, a teenager grows up and they, they finally get out of the home and now they can do whatever they want to. They look around and it's like, well, if this is the best that Christianity has to offer— I would rather go back into Egypt, be enslaved, live in sin, but hey, at least I get the leeks and the onions. And I think that's the reason why most people are leaving. Could you imagine if you actually had the land of promise and we as the body of Christ were living in the reality of all that God has provided for us and the fullness of the Spirit where all things are provided for life and godliness, no one would want to leave that. In fact, biblically, <clears throat> it, it is the, the early church turned the world upside down. Why? Because they were living in that reality. That they actually had something to offer. I've been really just convicted lately of First uh, Peter chapter 3. Well, let me just read this. <laughs> and, and Dan McConaughey brought this up the other day, and it's just, I've been pondering it afresh. But First Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 15. And this is Dan McConaughey's favorite passage, always be ready. <laughs> But Peter writes, always be ready to give an answer to every man who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you with gentleness and fear. Now, it's interesting to me that we are always to be ready. Amen. So there's never a time in our life where we shouldn't be ready. Yes. Dan McConaughey's t-shirt, right? Always be ready. But it's interesting that we are to have a ready answer for every man, not just unbelievers, but also believers, that every single person we should have a ready answer. Why? 
for the reason of the hope that is in you. And it's been interesting in this culture today, we are coming to a place, at least in America, where all the security and all the comfort and all the stuff that we used to hide behind is being stripped away, which means we're, we're now being revealed, right? It's that, it's that toothpaste tube illustration, right? The toothpaste tube is being squeezed. Something's coming out. The issue is not the squeezing. The issue is what is going to come out. And the same thing's true about our lives, right? We are all being squeezed. The issue is not <clears throat> the squeezing as much as it is what is coming out as we're being squeezed. <laughs> and right now, culture is not proving too well. Even the church is not proving too hot. But according to Peter, when we're being squeezed, what should come out of us is a hope that should cause the entire world to look at us and say, how are you living? How, how do you have that hope? See, that, that's that promised land reality that you actually have something of substance, that you're living in the fullness of the Spirit. You have all things that you need for life and godliness. So when someone looks at you, they just say, what is that hope that you have? And I'm convinced that if we as the body of Christ would be living in there, we would not be losing our teenagers. In fact, we would be growing as a body because the whole culture would say, I need this. But hey, if the best we as the church have to offer is wilderness living, nobody wants the wilderness. I don't want the wilderness. If the church, if the best we have to offer is the wilderness, count me out. I'm not interested in living in the wilderness because the wilderness is miserable. See, the wilderness proves you to either go one or two directions. It's either going to prove you to press in by faith into the land of promise or it's going to cause you to turn back into Egypt and go back into slavery. See, the wilderness is not supposed to be a long season. In fact, I love what one, it's an anonymous quote, but what one scholar said, he said, it took 40 hours to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. It's interesting that we have this such a propensity for Egypt that the longings of our heart is that rather than the reality of the promise that God has offered. And if I can just encourage us, we, could we just freshly remember that God is, by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus himself, brought us out of Egypt. He broke the shackles of sin. He redeemed us. He paid the ransom. He transferred us from the power of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. That, that he has done all that we need. And hey, if you find yourself in Egypt, or if you find yourself allured to the leeks and the onion, onions of Egypt, well then repent and let us run back into the reality of Jesus. If, if we find ourselves in a wilderness season, let us get out of it as quick as possible. <laughs> let us enter in by faith. And realize that the line of promise is not a heaven thing. It is a now thing. That the promise that God has for us is not for, oh, someday, by and by. It's for this moment. That we need his life and godliness for this moment. Uh, let me just read this last passage in Psalm 106. I thought, found this this morning. I just thought this was interesting. In Psalm 106, verse 21, speaking of Egypt, it says that they forgot their God, their Savior, their Deliverer, who had done great things in Egypt. Isn't it sad that here is Israel and God had done all these great things in Egypt and he brought them out from the hand, from the, from the slavery of Egypt and brought them into a land of promise that, that God had, had been showing all along, been talking about, and yet they had forgot what he had done, that they forgot their Savior. Could I encourage us as believers to never forget our Savior, the one who by his blood, the blood of the Lamb, set us free, can we not forget him who brought us out of this trial testing season to bring us in the land that he has promised? I, I want to I live and just delight myself in the reality of the promise that you and I get to cherish and live in. 
And let us give the promise, this, as the reality, the gospel that we're proclaiming. Not just get out of Egypt, because the reality of the gospel is far more than just getting out of Egypt. It is getting into the promise and allowing the promise to get into us, as Paul would say. It's Christ in you and Christ in you and you in Christ. So let us live afresh today in that reality. Well, pray with me. Lord, we love you. Lord, thank you that you have delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of your dear Son. Lord, thank you that it's not by our might or not by our power, but it's by you and your Spirit. Lord, thank you that it was through your blood that, and it was your ransom that set us free from the clutches of sin and death. And Lord, I just pray for the church today. Lord, we've been living in the wilderness for far too long. Lord, thank you for the wilderness, that it is a trial season. Thank you that it is, it is forcing a decision in our lives that's forcing us one way or the other. But Lord, I pray that the church, as it is sliding back to Egypt, would be awakened from its stupor and that we would rise up and by faith enter into the land of promise, that we would not be intimidated by the giants or the tall fortresses or the enemies of, that, that, that may be living in the, the land of promise. But Lord, you as a consuming fire, as you said through Moses in Deuteronomy, will we'll go before us as a consuming fire and destroy all of our enemies. So Lord, I pray that we as a church would rise up and live as the body of Christ, that we wouldn't just camp out in the wilderness and say, wow, look at the quell and look at the manna, but not live the life that we would actually enter in through faith, that somehow the world would just be dumbstruck by the reality that all that is needed for life and for godliness is found in you, that the world would look upon us and actually see the hope within and would ask, and that by your grace and your spirit, that we would always have an answer for every single person who asks. Lord, let us not wander. Let us live in the promise. And Lord, we just, again, just ask for, the, for mercy upon the church that you would give us boldness, that you would give us peace, that you would give us mercy and love. And you would allow us to be a pure and spotless bride, your bride. Love you, Jesus. We just give you the praise and the glory. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.